Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We are going to pick up where we left off with the last chapter, I think, in the book of 2 Kings, before we move on to another book, God willing. If you want to read along with me, let's begin. It's chapter 24 of 2 Kings. We're going to begin with verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. So uh, we already read about how the Assyrian Empire took control of the areas of the kingdom of Israel, um, lots of different um, territories of it, and then eventually started taking control of the territory of Judah. Now the king of Babylon, another ancient empire that exists in history, um, is also attacking the kingdoms and um, forcing them under into subjection. Nebuchadnezzar is a historic king also that you can read more about outside of the Bible also. Um, so, But they're not having it. They're rebelling against him. So what happens? Verse 2. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. So... Uh, according to the narrator here, it's the Lord that's behind all those different countries going up against the tribes, the, the kingdoms of uh, here at this point is the kingdoms of, uh, kingdom of Judah. Um, but that flies in the face of what Bible thumping preachers will tell you that the Lord doesn't cause things like that. The Lord, the Lord doesn't take disasters upon people. The Lord doesn't, uh, what's the word, it's, it's translated oracle in um in some versions of the Bible, but in other versions of the Bible is translated as burdens. Um, like in the book of Jeremiah specifically, it talks about the people saying, what burden will the Lord bring on them um, today? Um, that same word is oracle. It's, the, it's because the people began seeking visions from wherever they could get it. So they looked for the oracle of the Lord. And for whatever reason, the use of that word oracle, or as it's translated in other versions, burden, um, that was offensive to the entity they're worshiping as God or the Lord translated here I'm almost certain again from the word or name Jehovah at least that's how it reads in my Bible um, that that's who's offended by the use of that word oracle or the thought that it's the Lord taking that burden to the people but here we're reading it according to narrator narrator that's exactly who's behind it and it's the Lord sending those surrounding countries, Syria, Moab, Amman, which is modern-day Amman and Jordan, against the kingdoms, uh, kingdom of Judah. Um, so who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what your Bible-thumping preacher tells you? Or are you going to believe what we just read? And people will often just believe whatever it is their preacher tells them because um, that's who they can see and hear, even though they read it with their own eyes, what it says right there. Um, whatever the case may be, Verse 3, surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. So again, the narrator here is letting us know that it is the Lord who's responsible for all those troubles falling on the people, the kingdom of Judah, not anything else. Um, but it's because of, at least according to the narrator, the people have been unfaithful in following other religions or as it's called in the Bible, idolatry. Verse four, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed 
for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. So um, apparently he was also uh, the current King Jehoiakim that we're talking about also did a lot of killing um, of innocent people, it says. Now, um, what kind of killing of the innocents? It doesn't really say. What was he doing? Why was he bloodthirsty just killing innocent people? It's not clear, but apparently he has blood on his hands, according to the narrator. And maybe it's in the books of the Chronicles, if God will, when we get to them, um, that it'll be explained more. Uh, but that seems to be at least uh, what's the cause of the vengeance, it seems, that the Lord is dishing out to the kingdom because of the sins of idolatry and the sins of innocent blood being shed. So if innocent blood is being shed is enough to make the Lord lash out and take down a kingdom, then America would have to be next in line or at least somewhere in the line since we've already seen statistically the innocent people are uh, the victims of state-sponsored murder uh, with the death penalty. Plenty of people who've been executed by the death penalty were innocent. It's been proven too late after they're already long gone. Things like DNA evidence or other witnesses and things will come forward and um, exonerate them. But by then, it's too late. They've already been murdered by the state. So if that's enough to make the Lord lash out and strike a country, then again, surely America's guilty of that also. Even though it claims to be a Christian God-fearing nation, there's blood on its hands. Not to mention all the atrocities of slavery or and the, the trail of tears, the things that were done to the Native American people, and all sorts of other bigotries that happen um, in this country, uh, this God-fearing Christian nation. Surely all of those things, besides abortions, would have to also be blood guilt on the nation's hands. Um, but let's keep reading what happens. It says the Lord wouldn't, the narrator says the Lord wouldn't pardon the innocent bloodshed uh, by the kingdom at this point. Verse five, now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So the narrator here is letting us know if we wanna read more about Jehoiakim's administration, there's more to be read in the books of the Chronicles. And I, again, I think those are the next books in sequence in the Bible. Um, once we finish these, verse six, so Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. So um, one king of Judah, Judah uh, with its capital city, Jerusalem, is gone. Now his son has risen up in his place as the new king, Jehoiachin. Um, verse Seven And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So we read previously how um, these other nations that surround the so-called promised land, the holy land, Canaan, Palestine, Israel, whatever you want to call it, that area between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River and surrounding areas nearby, were being attacked and taken by different neighboring countries. Uh, and one of the neighboring countries was a country that the people fled to previously, uh, hundreds of years previously, when the people went to Egypt for help during the famine that was uh, prophesied to happen and then did happen. After that, the people fell into enslavement while they were in, Af in Egypt um, and then were emancipated from that enslavement. That's what we read about in the book of the Exodus. Now they're to the promised land, 
so-called promised land where there were actually people living there already, but they've colonized it. They coveted it first, uh, then they colonized it. Um, and now they're being taken captive by neighboring countries. And some of the neighboring countries are actually uh, some of their relatives, um, the people of Amman, the people of, um, uh, what other countries did it say? Uh, they, they had people in Amman, in Moab, and uh, why is it slipping my mind? Why don't I see it here? Oh, here it is. Okay, I had to look up. So Moab, Syria, Amman, Chaldeans is the um, uh, is uh, another word for the Babylonians. Um, so there's different people dispersed from these same tribes that live in these countries and even have relatives that, according to the Bible, were founders of those countries like Amman are uh, descendants of, or I'm sorry, relatives and descendants of um, Abraham's family member, Lot, who was famous for the Sodom and Gomorrah narrative. Um, that that's where they went and sort of founded that area. So these are relatives are there of theirs that are basically turning on them and overtaking them. It's hundreds of years later, so those bonds may not be as strong as they once were, uh, but that's what's happening at this point. In the story, and even Egypt, um, again, no longer helping, but instead uh, went from enslavers to then captors as they also overtook some of the territories of the so-called promised land. But now even Egypt itself is being conquered by opposing forces, the king of Babylon, another ancient kingdom. In verse 8, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. So as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these. But we see now another youngin is the king, 18 years old, and he's the king. And that's not even the youngest that we've seen. We've seen like 8-year-olds, 12-year-olds um, being uh, crowned the king of the territories, um, fulfilling the prophecies that... Uh, children and women would be their rulers if they were unfaithful. And that was seen as a debasement of the nation. Even though, again, Bible-thumping preachers in modern times will say, like when they opposed Obama's uh, election, that, um, that that's the Lord uh, lashing out at America and giving people with ch children's minds as rulers. Obama was a lawyer, so that's not a child's mind. And he was elected twice, so... It couldn't possibly be an immature mind that's leading the country. And even if it is, how in the world can that be considered immature? But the uh, administration that took us into Iraq for two decades not be considered immature. Not only is it, but it's actually not immature. It's calculated and got away with it all thanks to Obama. So if you're going to criticize Obama about anything, it seems to me you'd criticize him for not holding the people to account who took the country to Iraq for two decades and instead just giving them a pass and letting it go, uh, even though you, he ran on a whole different platform of, um, of uh, a new sort of honest look at the government and the nation and then abandoned all that once he took office and part, basically pardoned, but just turned the page on the horrible things that happened in the administration before him. Similarly, I think you're going to see the same thing happening with the current president um, choosing to flip the page on the person who's been calling him Sleepy Joe and choosing not to uh, go after the things he's obviously, or at least seems to me, obviously done 
like stirring up the people on January 6th to go riot. Um, he'll probably do the same thing, just turn the page. and Because it's not really about justice or truth, those sort of American tenets that are preached to children. It's not about that at all. It's about enshroud, enshrouding the wealthy and the elite, Democrat and Republican, with safety from consequences. Uh, no matter who uh, the people choose, uh, it seems that that's what's actually up with this system in America. But back to this, verse 8. Joya Chen was 18 years old, so he's the new king, but he didn't reign for very long, uh, only three months. And it mentions his mama's name probably for a reason, because usually when the women are mentioned, they have a significant role, or at least they're um, sometimes blamed with the misdeeds of the males that uh, they that they are, uh, are their ch ruling children. But let's see, verse 9, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. So here it goes again. The next king is being considered an evil ruler by the narrator. Um, he's, let's see why. It's saying according to all that his father had done. So again, that points to most likely idolatry, practicing other religions outside one monotheistic religion that actually isn't monotheistic since we read in Genesis, uh, it, the Lord wasn't alone with the creation story, at least the way it reads. It says, let us, that's not singular, make man in our, that's not singular, image. So how can it possibly be a monotheistic uh, religion when right from the start in Genesis, I think that's even chapter one, it's plural. But again, People embrace lies and say it's in the Bible, but it's not actually in the Bible at all. It's actually contrary to what the Bible says. But that's people. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. So uh, we see here the Babylonian kingdom has risen up against the Judean kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, I should say. Um, and they're besieging it the same way uh, that we read about um, other sieges on the city. They basically surround the city so that no one can go in or out. So then the people are driven into starvation and desperation and either give up or are so weak they can't fight anymore and they're attacked and conquered. Um, so it seems the same thing is happening there. And it even happened outside of the Bible in around 70 AD, like we read talked about before with what Jesus prophesied about Jerusalem being taken and woe to those who are pregnant and nursing babies. Because when those sieges happen, people get desperate enough that they eat whatever they can and even whoever they can, including their own children. Um, so that seems to be what's starting there. Babylon, the same Babylon that um, is mentioned in Genesis again, uh, Babel, which translates to basically confusion, like when people babble on and on and on. Um, which, by the way, according to Genesis, God is the author of. Uh, so even though people say God's not the author of confusion, that's also uh, against what the Bible says. It specifically says that God says, let us go down and confuse them, confuse the languages. So people think they're being righteous, and, and but they're really just being religious. They're religiously repeating what it is they believe or have been told, but not actually righteously following what's actually written. And there's a difference. 
one is actually evil. One is not. I mean, it's pretty plain. But anyway, so now Babylon has risen up and they're attacking the city. Verse 11. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the city as his servants were besieging it. So uh, the kingdom of Babylon is attacking uh, presumably Jerusalem, since it's saying the city, and it's talking about the kingdom of Judah. Um, and as his servants, his uh, soldiers, are attacking the city, now the king himself has uh, made it to the city. Verse 12, Then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. So uh, the young king, Wait a minute, this can't be the same king because they said that king only re reigned for a few months. Um, oh, that's of Jerusalem, sorry. So the king of Babylon has uh, gone up against them and um, taken them prisoner. He's basically conquered them because the king and his family, the elites, have surrendered and even been taken prisoner. Verse 13, and he carried out from there all the treasuries treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. So uh, the king of Babylon and his uh, soldiers are looting the kingdom, um, taking everything they want from Jerusalem and all the riches that King Solomon, son of David, King David and Goliath David, had set up for the kingdom. So all the riches and gilded this and golden that and silver this, all are being taken away. They're being looted completely and um, carried away from their country to the army that's defeated them. Verse 14, also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains of and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths None remained except the poorest people of the land. So all the elites have been captured. Maybe that's what should happen in America. And then maybe we'd actually have some equity and justice. Um, I'm not sure who'd be able to do it at this point. It, maybe the aliens. As, as they're saying, an alien, cra alien ship crashed in Vegas a few days ago. Maybe that's what it'll take. Although I don't believe uh, they're actually aliens. They're probably what the Bible calls uh, fallen angels because they came down from heaven um, or perhaps even time travelers people who have uh, traveled to the future traveled to the past and been witnessed throughout time <clears throat> excuse me and also denied throughout time because they seem so mythical but so many people have witnessed them over the uh, years including in the bible that it seems impossible to believe that they're just a figment of the imagination but whatever they are, maybe that's what it would take to uh, balance the scales, uh, since human nature doesn't seem interested in that at all. But whatever the case may be, 10,000 of the people of Jerusalem have been captured and taken captive to um, uh, presumably Babylon is where they're being taken, and the people who are being spared are the poorest of land. Verse And it's saying, as the Lord had said, so the narrator here is letting us know, they believe that uh, all of the, the calamity that the people are falling into is a result of the prophecies they were given when they first got the promised land. 
that um, if they were faithful, they'd succeed. If they weren't faithful, they'd be captured, trampled, and taken. So apparently that's what's happened here according to the narrator. Now, since I say that because when things are written retrospectively, you can point the finger to this, that, and the other with 2020 hindsight or with creative editing. But if you're writing it as it happens, you aren't going to necessarily see it the same way. Um, so whatever the case may be, they're being taken. Verse 15, and he carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land. He carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. So the royals have been captured and taken to a foreign country uh, as, the, as their own country has been defeated. Verse 16, all the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war. These the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. So when we talked before about the elites, the political elites, the religious elites, and the masons, um, those are the people who didn't have to give accounting of the money because they were considered faithful, um, almost certainly fully, thoroughly corrupt. Uh, since that opens the door to it, um, those are who have been captive, captured by the opposing forces, the kingdom of Babylon, and even taken to a foreign land now, with the land being left empty, with only the poorest of the people left behind. Verse 17, then the king of Babylon made Madaniah, uh, excuse me, Joachim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So he read about how um, the names get changed when the people get conquered. Here's another example. Um, um, I'm not sure how they choose these other names for them, but um, that seems to be what's happened. The king of Babylon has um, taken the king who was there captive and carried him off to Babylon, away from Jerusalem. And now he set up a king of his own choosing in his place. Uh, an uncle of um, the king and changed his name also from Zedekiah to, uh, I'm sorry, from Madaniah to uh, Zedekiah. And um, some people believe there's a significance to the names. I believe that the names just translate to different things, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything in the big picture. And even if it, uh, and when it does mean something in a big picture, that sounds like it to me points to uh, what people do in fiction when they make up things for other uh, names to have meaning and then turn out a certain way. But whatever the case may be, that's what's happening right uh, now. And that's how I read, so that's why we're reading it. Verse 4, 18, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamiltal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. So um, Zedekiah, only 21 now, he's the king. Um, and it's mentioning his mama also. Um, and that uh, probably again, because she probably played a significant role in his administration. Um, but either way, he's reigned 11 years as king in Jerusalem. And remember, at this point, the kingdoms are still divided into two. There's the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Right now, we're talking about the kingdom of Judah that's being captured and carried away um, by the Babylonian forces. Like we said, read before, the Assyrian forces already carried away 
um, many from the kingdom of Israel already. Verse 19, he also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. So now the narrator is letting us know that the new king is wicked too, that he's not being faithful either. And it seems the thing he's being unfaithful in is that idolatry. Verse 20, for because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out of his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So narrator again is letting us know that because of the unfaithfulness of the king in that same idolatry, most likely in worshiping other gods and having other religions, that that's what's so offensive that the Lord has rejected the people and allowed them to be captured and taken by other kingdoms, uh, just like they were told when they first uh, went to the promised land to enter and take it. Um, but whatever the case may be, Zedekiah's rebelling against the kingdom, uh, the king of Babylon. Um, how will that turn out for him? I guess we'll have to read it to see it because that was the last verse in this chapter. So that's what we'll end this reading. Thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope you'll join me again. Hope it's a blessing for you. And I hope this finds you well. Love you. See you next time. Peace be with you.